Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So we come to the, the end of our short sermon series, Kingdom Vision, where we've been looking at seeing and living lives through a, a kingdom lens. And we've done that, and as we've seen as we've traveled through it, that we need to have our focus on the, the needs of others uh, before our own, that we are called to call out the gold in people rather than focus in on their flaws and the things that they don't do so well. And last week we were looking at the need to encourage one another in the faith that equally, even if we are not quite as excited as, as someone might be, um, you know, I kind of used the, the illustration of someone who gets the good news for the first time and they're on fire. And we forget what it was like when we were like that. And we think, oh, it's not that big a deal. You know, we've kind of gotten over that thing. We're not maybe not in, on as fire as we, as we maybe used to be. But we need to be as excited as, as the people that are coming to us and sharing this amazing thing that they have figured out what the good news is to them and to the world. And we need to encourage them even more when we find ourselves in that place. And the thing is, in each of these things, we noticed that there was something going on. And it was that if we were going to live our lives through this kingdom lens and live our lives as if we were in the kingdom right here and now, that it's extremely difficult. And that's because it seems to go in a up against the, the natural way of doing things as human beings, that we have our own ways of doing things, and we do tend to focus in on people's flaws far quicker than we're able to see the, the gold in them, the things that they do well. We're very quick to focus on the negative. And equally, there can be times where we are really selfish, that we fail to, to see the needs of others because we're so focused on our own stuff and the things that we want. And equally, we might not necessarily be as encouraging as we might be, that there might well be times where we've failed to encourage others. But the thing is, although these things are extremely difficult, as we've gone through the series, we understand, and as I spoke earlier, we don't do it alone, that we have the opportunity to not walk through this life alone because we have our Lord Jesus in our life. We can rely on His strength and, and His power that we might be able to see and to live our lives in the kingdom right now, that we would have a kingdom vision. So as we find ourselves at the end of, of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and I truly believe that the, the main theme of this particular letter is encouragement. In fact, most of Paul's letters are encouraging 
these churches that he has started. Paul's aiming to encourage this, this church in Philippi that they would live as citizens of the kingdom now, that it's not something far off, that through our Lord Jesus you have the opportunity to live in the kingdom now. He's encouraging them and he's, he's urging them that they would, they would see this stuff and that they would put it into practice, that they would live their lives not just as seeing life through this kingdom lens, but that they would actually live their lives that way, that they would put it into action, that the way to that life is to look upon our Lord Jesus and follow his teaching and his example. Paul's essentially telling them to stand firm in the Lord. Paul realizes that the people in Philippi, as well as us, might say, well, okay, that, that's fine, but how do we do that? How do we stand firm in the Lord? And in this short section, Paul goes through five things, five things in this closing to the letter. And the first is that we need to agree in the Lord. The second is that we need to rejoice always. The third is that we need to be reasonable or exhibit gentleness, as he says. The fourth is that we are not to be anxious. And the fifth is that we are to hold holy thought. We're going to briefly unpack these this morning because there's probably a, another sermon series there. But we'll briefly unpack each of these this morning. So what's meant by that first one? To agree in the Lord. Well, as the section opens up and the bit that I didn't get more ag to read because I know that sometimes the names can be a bit of a, a, a tough one. But as the section opens up, in verses 2 and 3, there's clearly an argument or a disagreement happening within this church. And Paul writes, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, it's obviously not a theological issue that is causing this division. As Paul is saying, they need to be of the same mind. It's obviously not a theological one because Paul tends to unpack that stuff in his letters. If it's a theological thing, he usually irons it out because he wants to make sure that proper theology is happening in these churches that he's fathered. But there's clearly a disagreement over probably a personal preference or an interpretation of something, perception, or it might just be an issue that these people have with one another. We can't get along with each other all of the time as much as we would like to. And the thing is, you see, most splits or issues in individual churches are very rarely down to theology. They tend to be preferences, interpretations, a difference of opinion, or a difference in the way of doing something, a change, 
We all love change, right? We might have varying degrees into which we're able to deal with change. I don't think anybody truly loves change, especially when it comes up against something that we really like or that we're comfortable with. Paul is encouraging them to say, look, we need to keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the thing that binds us together in that book of life that he talks about. That thing that keeps us together. Let's not be focusing on the things that look to split us up, the things that will divide us, our own preferences, our ways of doing things. Our focus is on the thing that binds us, our Lord Jesus. And it's only by doing that that we're able to follow through on these other things that Paul is talking about in this section of the letter. So he moves on to the next thing. We are to rejoice in the Lord always, always. The thing is, some people call Paul's letter to the Philippians, the epistle of joy. And there's definitely a good reason for that, because if we were to go through it, we're able to see that the, the Greek word for rejoice is found 96 times in this letter alone. 96 times. There's only four chapters in this letter. But the Greek word for rejoice is found 96 times. And indeed, the Greek word for joy is found 56 times. So you can understand why this is maybe seen as the epistle of joy. But the thing is, times get hard. It's incredibly difficult to navigate your way through life and not encounter struggles. You know, I highlighted a few earlier. It might be health, it might be work-related, it might be school, university, it might be in the church, family, friends. It's incredibly difficult to go through life and not encounter struggles. We can have a lot of things going on, and the idea of rejoicing always seems so far away from our minds. It seems just so out of reach. But let's never forget that the author of this letter, who's telling us to rejoice always, Paul isn't sitting in a cushy place. He's not sitting in a palace writing these words to this church in Philippi. He's probably chained to a Roman guard in a dungeon as he's writing this letter of encouragement. And he's telling us that we need to rejoice always in the Lord. We might think, how could Paul possibly be rejoicing always when he finds himself in that situation? So far from home, chained to a guard 24-7. But the thing is, Paul understands the truths in Jesus' message. That's what keeps him going. 
That's what helps him to rejoice in the Lord always. He understands that he doesn't walk through his life alone, that Jesus is walking with him. And he, he is able to, and just as we should too, we need to look past whatever our circumstances and look towards our Lord and Savior Jesus. Because our circumstances are never the end. It's not the end. The end is victory. And if you're not having the victory, then it's not the end yet. And as terrible as our circumstances might be at times, hold on to that. They're never, ever the end. The thing that ultimately brings Paul this great joy is the truth of the eternal life with the Father through our Lord Jesus. And that, for me, is certainly worth rejoicing over. Paul is saying that we need to rejoice in the Lord always because when all else fails, when everything that we see fails, our Father in heaven never fails. Never fails. You might remember a few weeks back when I was speaking about temptation as we were going through the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew's Gospel, we find Jesus in the desert right after his baptism. And Satan comes and he's trying to tempt him. A whole bunch of things. And Jesus is able to move past his circumstance of hunger and dehydration out in this desert. Because he's able to keep his focus on the task at hand, the truths of God, the scriptures. He remains standing firm for his Father in heaven. These truths that he fires back at Satan. Don't test God. Jesus is able to look past his circumstance because he knows the glory that awaits him and for those who follow him. Which then moves us to the third thing that Paul highlights. He says that the people in Philippi need to be reasonable. Or as he says it in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And the thing is, that might seem okay to us. We might think, well, we're reasonable. We're gentle. I think we all think that we're reasonable and gentle 100% of the time. Very rarely do we think that we're not reasonable. Am I right? Now, whether that's true or not, We might like to think that we are constantly reasonable with other people, that we're gentle with them. But as human beings, we struggle with that. There are times where we maybe aren't as gentle or reasonable as we might think. We can be guilty of sometimes elevating in our mind how we have acted with someone, that we think we did a good job there. And equally, we might actually downplay it. We might think that we've not done anything at all. We might start to want to 
retreat from the, the limelight. We don't always seem to have a good handle on how we have acted with people. I think if we're honest, we probably struggle with it more than we would like to admit. But the thing is, this reasonableness or gentleness that Paul is referring to can only happen if we put Jesus first. can only happen if we put Jesus first. That when we put his truth, his ideas, his ways above our own, then we'll always be in a better position to achieve this reasonableness or gentleness that Paul is talking about. Because we're able to follow Jesus' example rather than trying to do it all on our own. I don't know about you, that causes me anxiety, which is why Paul moves into the fourth thing, where he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. That's an incredibly hard one. To never, ever be anxious. We all go through periods of our lives that are a struggle. And they might last for a short period of time, but they, or they might last for a long time. And they cause us to be anxious. We're not in that good place 100% of the time. There are things that cause us anxiety. And these last few years have been unlike anything we could have possibly imagined. It's not a surprise that the levels of anxiety would be as high. It might be that when we're going through that period of anxiety, that, that our mental health isn't what it should be. It opens us up to even more periods of anxiety. And it might become even more prolonged if we don't address it. And we let it keep going. But Paul doesn't just say, don't be anxious and just, and just leaves it like that. He gives us tools. He gives us the tools to say, don't be anxious, don't worry. And here is how to go about that. In verses 6 and 7, he says, do not worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer. The thing is, we might spend just a wee bit of time in prayer and even more so when we find ourselves in that place of anxiety, we might spend a little bit of time in prayer in the hope that we might access this peace that, that Paul is talking about. We might spend five minutes praying about a particular situation and it seems like our circumstances haven't changed. Nothing seems to change. 
So we might start to think, well, maybe prayer doesn't work. Maybe prayer doesn't work for me. It maybe works for other people, but it's obviously not working for me because I've spent five minutes praying about this and it's not changed yet. The thing is, prayer, as I've said numerous occasions, is an ongoing conversation with our Father in heaven. It's not a five-minute, one-and-done thing. It's a conversation. It's not a case of us saying to ourselves, okay, well, I'll spend five minutes and if nothing changes, I'm done. We need to be committed to it. Committed to praying for things that won't magically get better. But we need to continually pray to God that we might receive, as Paul says, that peace which passes all understanding. Even in my short time here, we've seen some truly amazing answers to prayer. Truly amazing answers to prayer. We didn't just pray once and leave it. Some of the things that we saw amazing things happen after only praying once. But other things, we committed to be praying for these things weekly. You know, we committed to, to be praying for people and circumstances every single week in our weekly prayer meeting. We've seen God move in amazing ways. Things that weren't supposed to happen have happened. Things that we thought were inevitable have changed. We've seen healings. We've seen amazing births of, of little babies. Peace delivered to people who were really struggling. People who've been going through a lot of stuff and we've seen them receive God's peace. And sure, there are still a few things that are still on our prayer list and we, we desperately hope that they would come off that prayer list. But we continue and we, we are committed to praying for them weekly because we understand it's not a one and done thing, that it's a continual conversation. And if you would like us to be praying for you or someone you know, or your circumstances or the circumstances of people that you know, then please let me know. It can be confidential. It can be anonymous. God knows the situation. But as a church, we are committed to praying for people and praying for our community and circumstances. That that peace which passes all understanding would guard and keep those that we love and those that we know. And it might well be that that peace that surpasses all understanding is an answer to prayer that, that you've been praying this morning. That's something that you need. And I'm happy to pray for you, as I'm sure others are too. It might be that that thing that's causing you the, the anxiety doesn't immediately go away that it's still there, the circumstances are still the same, but you have access to this peace about it. 
that you find yourself somehow different and you're able to approach life in a different way, that you're seeing it through a different lens. It might even be that you're able to seek help that you need. You maybe have that strength now that you're able to admit that you need help because, again, that's a, that's a thing we struggle with. We might be far more quick to, to help someone than to say, look, I need help. I don't want to be sexist, but I'm pretty sure my gender are worse. Scottish males. And as part of my, my training for sports chaplaincy, as of you might know that I'm the chaplain for Rutherglen Glencairn. And part of that training was to attend a mental health first aid training course. And that was tough. That was tough. You know, dealing with people that are, that are really struggling. But the thing that jumped out at me was just the sheer number of ways that we're able to get help nowadays. So many wonderful services, wonderful people, all there to help us. And we're able to access these things. If only we would admit that we need a bit of help. And my prayer is that the, the peace that passes all understanding would be guarding you this morning that it might be in your life. And that if you are struggling, that you would be able to receive that peace. That you would be strengthened to be able to tackle life. That you would understand that you are loved and precious to God. That any sense of unworthiness would be gone. That's not how God looks at you. That you would admit and, and seek the help that you might need. The fifth and final thing that Paul highlights to us is that we're supposed to have holy thoughts. And I was thinking this week as I was going through the passage and reflecting on what it meant and what I was going to share. And it took me back to when I was a project manager before I went into training for ministry. And you know, a lot of my work needed to include databases. And I remember um, speaking to a colleague and he reminded me that you know, a database is only as good as, as the information that's in there, right? I remember one of my colleagues saying to me, Neil, if you put rubbish in, you're going to get rubbish out. Or words to that effect. They might have chosen some more flowery language than that. But I said, okay, well, that's true. I understand that. But surely if you put good things in, you'll get good things out. And he says, yeah, well, okay, that's true. And that's the kind of thing that Paul is trying to get at here. Put good things in, and then good things will come out. In verses 8 and 9, 
Paul says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. That is some list of things to keep our eyes looking for. Honorable things. Things that are worthy of praise. Paul is saying, fill your mind with that stuff. That when you spend time reading the scriptures, time in prayer, in fact, anything that you do, copy what I'm doing. Anything that you've heard and seen in me. Paul isn't being big-headed here. He's essentially saying, look, I live my life aiming to be the best follower of Jesus that there is. That is the commitment that I made to Jesus when I became an apostle. I want to be able to do and say the things that Jesus did. So copy me. Live your life like me. I keep my thoughts holy. The good things going in and the good things coming out. And don't just think about them. Don't just have these holy thoughts captured in here, but actually do something with it. Go ahead and do these things. Anything that you see that is worthy of praise, praise it. Don't just think it, but actually praise it. And as we've gone through this short series and we've looked at living with this kingdom vision, and we understand that it goes against our natural tendencies at times. You know, standing firm in the Lord is hard work. It requires discipline, patience, and sacrifice. And we've only looked at a few things here over these four weeks as we've looked at kingdom vision. We could have actually spent an entire year and still only scratched the surface of what it is to live in the kingdom. But the thing is, if we remember anything, it's that this stuff is difficult to do on our own. But the saving grace is we don't do it on our own. We have Jesus in our life. And if we focus on the power of Jesus, we recognize that the things that we are called to do and to live, that they're not beyond reach. We carry the Holy Spirit with us to strengthen us. We're able to not only see life through a kingdom lens, but actually live that life right now, here. And as Paul is encouraging that church in Philippi, he challenges them to live as citizens of the kingdom now. Not in the future, but now. And might we too take that encouragement from Paul? That here in Stonelaw, 
we would live as citizens of the kingdom right here and now. That we would live our lives not only looking through a kingdom lens, but actually act upon what it is that we see. That stone law would be known for having a kingdom vision. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you that the kingdom is right here. And while some of this stuff is hard for us to hear, it's even harder for us to put it into practice. So we would pray that your spirit would be with us, that we would be a people that live in the kingdom here and now. Would you inspire us, encourage us, and fill us with that joy that we might be the people that you've created us to be, that we would be celebrated, and that we would celebrate others, for they too are children of God. Father, we say more of your Spirit, for it is truly welcome here. May we be used to usher in more of your kingdom here in Rutherglen. We ask all of this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.